Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Hello, I'm Micah. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10, 30 to 35. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is my Good Samaritan story. This is a true story. And unlike some true stories, it actually happened. (laughs) After Thanksgiving dinner this year, which was rather quick, because the turkey was still an hour and a half away from being done, I asked if anyone wanted to take a ride to Starbucks with me. My son Anthony agreed to come, and we took off in my daughter's car, which she had left me that morning when she borrowed our SUV. We drove into Hillsborough to the closest Starbucks, which was closed. I, however, had my handy-dandy Starbucks app on my phone, and it showed that there were several stores still open nearby. The part of the app that gives directions wasn't working, and neither was my navigator, but we took off in what we thought was the right direction. I mean, how hard can it be to find a Starbucks in the Portland area? And sure enough, after a few miles, we came to another Starbucks, another closed Starbucks. I once again consulted my app. It showed that a few of the stores that had been open when I'd first looked at it 10 minutes earlier were now closed, but there were still some open. One of those was on a street that was several miles from the street we were on, but my son thought that he knew where it was. So after one muttered comment about missing his football game, Anthony started in that direction. We were having a great conversation and time flew by until we eventually saw another Starbucks sign. This store was located in a pretty deserted area behind some other businesses which were all closed and dark. And after turning off the main road and winding behind the other businesses to the parking lot, we discovered that this Starbucks was also closed. So we turned around and started back to the main road. As we approached the stop sign, we saw a woman my age or maybe a little older standing alone on the deserted corner shivering in the cold. She feebly raised an arm to signal us And as we pulled alongside of her and drew to a stop, I rolled down my window and asked her if I could help her. She said that I could. I asked her if she needed a ride, and she said that she did. I asked her where she wanted to go, and she said that she didn't know. 
that she didn't have anywhere to go. She said that she was homeless. My son asked her if there were any friends or family who could, we could take her to or who might be worried about her or looking for her, and she said no. I asked her if she wanted a ride to a shelter, but she said that the shelter was closed until December 1st. I invited her to get into the car and we introduced ourselves. We discussed where we might take her and she said she would just like a ride to a Mac station, that she would ride the Max until it closed at 3 a.m., that at least that way she would be warm. Anthony didn't like the idea because he was worried about where she would go between three when the Mac stopped running and five when it started again. It was already bitterly cold and it would probably be freezing by then. I wasn't sure what else I could do. I thought about calling Mike for suggestions. I always think of him as our shepherd and therefore the ideal person to consult upon finding a lost sheep. But I really didn't want to bother him at seven o'clock on Thanksgiving night. Then I remembered a friend who has years of experience working with the homeless and I called her. She told me that there was a shelter that was open that night in East Portland. I told Mary, the woman in the back seat, about it, but when she heard where it was, she was adamant that she did not want to go to East Portland. She just wanted to ride the Max. So we agreed to take her where she wanted to go. I asked if we could get her something to eat, and she said that would be nice. I asked Anthony if he wanted to take her back to his house for a plate or try to find a restaurant that was still open, and he, probably knowing that his wife was not going to be any happier than my husband would be if, having gone out for a caramel macchiato, we returned with a homeless woman, said that we should probably try to find a restaurant. I suggested that if he drove down to TV Highway, which is jammed with businesses, we'd have the best chance of finding a restaurant that was open. Anthony drove for a while, and before too long, we came to a McDonald's. As we approached the drive-thru, I asked over my shoulder what she would like to eat. There was no answer as she was sound asleep, which was just as well as there was a big sign that read closed for Thanksgiving. I told Anthony that if we continued down TV Highway and didn't find a restaurant open, we would eventually come to a Safeway, which I knew was open until midnight because I had stopped by there looking for a Starbucks on the way to his house. <laughs> he agreed that we could get something at the deli there. Anthony, wanting to give the woman some cash, asked me if I had any money on me. As realization dawned, I shook my head no. I had planned to pay for my coffee with the Starbucks app on my phone and had left my wallet at home. I had brought no money, no credit cards, no cash. Do you have any money, I asked, and he shook his head helplessly. So I sent my husband and daughter-in-law text saying something like, have homeless woman, please fix plate, gather cash. We pull. <laughs> We pulled out of the McDonald's parking lot, and my son glanced down at the instrument panel and said, Mom, the gas is on empty. When we had picked the woman up, I had lamented the fact that instead of being in my car, which held extra gloves, hats, coats, blankets, and food, which I could have given her, we were in my daughter's car, which was lacking in surplus apparel or groceries. <laughs> Apparently, it was also lacking in fuel. We drove down the road for a while, conversing quietly to the sound of the snores in the back seat and wondering what we were going to do if we ran out of gas, when I suddenly realized that we hadn't passed any restaurants, opened or closed, which is unusual for TV Highway. In fact, I realized as I looked around, we weren't passing any businesses or even houses. In fact, there were not any buildings anywhere. Anthony, I asked, do you know where we are? This can't be TV Highway. There's nothing here. Do you even recognize this road? 
He looked around and was obviously as lost as I was. Maybe I turned the wrong way when I left McDonald's, he said. We continued on a while longer and at last came to a road we recognized. We were quite some way from TV Highway. Anthony's house, a Mac stop, or a gas station. It's okay, he reassured me. I can get home easily from here. He made a U-turn, and we drove a while longer, talking quietly and listening to the woman snore when we came to something we did recognize, a Starbucks sign. In fact, the very Starbucks sign at the corner where we'd picked the woman up. We'd been driving around for at least a half hour with this woman asleep in the back seat, and we had no money, no food, no gas, no good plan, and obviously no sense of direction. And we were right back where we'd started. Oh my God, Anthony, I said, has there ever been a more inept pair of Good Samaritans? We're more like the Good Grief Samaritans. <laughs> Anthony got into the left turn lane to turn around, and I began giving unsolicited and unappreciated advice about how he should make his turn. At this point, a little bickering ensued, and it occurred to me that the woman might wake up to our squabbling, yell, this is the sort of family dynamic that led to my homelessness, and jump out of the car. And so I stopped telling my 37-year-old son how to drive and encouraging him to disregard traffic laws and just shut up. Anthony erring on the side of caution, which upon further reflection is probably wise for a black man in America, eventually got us turned around and back to his house. I jumped out to go get the food and money, and as I shut the door, the woman sat up, looked out the window at the houses on every side, and asked, what max station is this? <laughs> Anthony explained where we were, and I came out and handed her a plate full of food. The good news was that we'd been gone so long that the turkey had finally finished cooking and had been carved just for her. Then I counted and handed her the money my husband had given me. Here's seven dollars, I said. Anthony looked aghast at the paltry sum. It's $5 just to get on the max, he whispered. I just shook my head. That's all they gave me. I'm not going back in there. <laughs> we drove to the nearest max station, and as we turned the corner, we saw the lights of the approaching train. This was one of those max stops that's in the middle of two roads of traffic heading in opposite directions, and there was no place to park. So Anthony pulled up on the side of the road, and I jumped out to help the lady out. This was easier said than done, as she was sort of stuck in the back seat of the car with her feet under the seat in front of her. I took the plate from her and then tried to figure out how to get her out. I didn't want to grab her arm in case I traumatized her, but Anthony kept yelling, hurry up, hurry up, they're going to start honking at us. Finally, she made it out of the car and was staggering around, rather disoriented and headed in the wrong direction. Anthony continued to shout at me to hurry up as I gave her the plate turned her toward the max stop, led her to the curb, and kind of shooed her on her way. Then I jumped in the car and we both drove back to Anthony's house. As he parked the car, Anthony looked in the back seat and his face fell. The $7 was on the back seat. Mom, he said, looking stricken. I saw her fumbling for it and thought it was a napkin, so I said, just leave it there. You don't need to worry about that. Hurry and get out. That night, and for several days after, I got quite a bit of laughter out of retelling the story. I thought it was pretty hilarious. But at the same time, I felt like a total failure. The morning of Thanksgiving, I had been reading the queries in different books of Quaker faith and practice. And when the woman had gotten into the car, I had thought that I was being called to put so many of these queries into practice. But instead, when I had tried to care for the needy, share my resources, practice good stewardship, all things that the queries asked about, I had completely fallen short. 
As I lay in bed, depressed about how things had turned out, I wondered what I would have considered a success. Really, I asked myself, what do you think you could have done differently? Take her home for a meal? Use your training as a spiritual director to form a bond and impart some spiritual solace? Find her a shelter? Find her a wardrobe? Find her a job? Some friends? A church? A therapist? A dog? I realized that even if I could have done all that, that's not what she wanted. She wanted a ride to the max, and she wanted a meal, and we gave her those. And we gave her a warm, safe, somewhat comfortable place to sleep for an hour as we drove around Beaverton. I kept focusing on where I failed, where I should have been better prepared. I should have transferred my food and warm clothing into my daughter's car. I should have had a survival blanket to give her. I should have carried extra cash. I should have filled the gas tank. I started to review all the queries I had read and check them off. Failed, failed, failed. And then I realized that I was treating faith and practice like the Girl Scout handbook, a guidebook to keep me prepared. I was looking at the queries like they were a report card. I was looking at them as a detailed checklist, not as a guide to help me live in the light, be aware of the presence of the light, and be led by the light. I thought of a quote by Carolyn Fox in a faith and practice I have. Live up to the light thou hast, and more will be granted thee. My son and I had done that. Our light had clearly led us to pick that woman up, and we had followed it. We hadn't followed it perfectly, but we had followed it with all our hearts. On his deathbed, Frederick von Hugel said, caring is the greatest thing, caring matters most. Anthony and I had cared about that woman. Anthony especially had cared so deeply. He had been so sweet and respectful and loving to her, so mindful of her dignity and worth. There's so much need, and it can seem that if we are not addressing it all, we are not addressing it at all. But all we can really do is the best we can. All we can see by is the light we have. It's like walking in the dark with a flashlight. You step onto the path you can see, and a little more is revealed. I dislike when people use the word enough to qualify an adjective. It usually seems to mean not really. A salesman never says a bed is comfortable enough, or a car engine runs smoothly enough, or a diamond ring is beautiful enough. Somehow adding the word enough doesn't exactly inspire confidence. Yet I have come to peace with being a good enough Samaritan. <laughs>